Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to discuss Michigan State's national championship matchup against Indiana State with a 87-75 victory on Saturday afternoon. Closed out an 8-5 2023 schedule for the Spartans and transitions us into the remaining 18 games of the Big Ten schedule where Michigan State currently sits at 0-2. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Ken Kramer again for a one-time donation via PayPal. Thanks Ken and to all of you who support what we're doing over at Tiffnots. If you're feeling a little guilty about absorbing all this analysis and dropping anything in the tip jar, head on over to tffinots.com support to find ways to support the show on a recurring basis or through a one-time gift. If you haven't yet, also, please be sure to subscribe to the show. It's free. And before we talk about Jeremy Fears, let's talk about the game with Indiana State. It was a game where I felt we should say played pretty well, except for their defensive connection on the perimeter, which <laughs> was obviously the reason the game was in jeopardy until late. Uh, Michigan State took a 10-point lead at half but quickly gave it up and found itself in dogfight just about through the end of the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy with that win for as much despair as listeners heard (laughs) from me coming out of the Nebraska loss. It's, it's not quite the polar opposite of that because polar opposite of that would be, we're going to win the national title and I'm not quite there yet, but I felt very, very good about this win. And, And here's some reasons why. Indiana State, offensively for sure, is better than I thought they were coming into this game. And I had a lot of respect for them coming into the game. (laughs) So the reason that I say that is if you would have told me that Robbie Avila would play, uh, I don't have, oh yeah, I do, 18 minutes in this game, only score five points, and ISU would be in it most of the way, I would have been very surprised. Yeah. Because as we talked about, he's such a key to what they do. And when he was on the floor, you those brief 18 minutes, you could see why. Mm-hmm. He's, he's so integral to getting their shooters loose. And they run everything through him. It's a lot of ball screens at, at on the perimeter, around the arc. Uh, top of the key, those areas. And then sometimes, as you saw him do in the second half, uh, where he got bailed out on a bad foul call, but nevertheless, the move was great. He passed up a handoff three separate times, going slow motion, and eventually (laughs) took Sissoko off the dribble. Um, That's the kind of player he is. And so the fact that they were able to do what they did largely without him for long stretches of that game. Very, very impressive. Their guard play, 
uh, the Swope kid, my God, Oof, he was good. Um, <laughs> what kind of game? But but it was really a, a lot of guys. I mean, Conwell had sixteen, Kent had twelve, Bledson had nine. You know, the only guy really didn't do much and give MSU credit for this besides uh, Avila was uh, was Larry, who was a very good offensive player for them, and he only hit he hit one three. That was it. Um, but they got contributions from a lot of guys. That's a good basketball team. Now, you know, the NCAA tournament is a funny thing. A league like the Missouri Valley, there have been years where it's been good enough to be a multi-bid league, but that's not something that happens with regularity. Yeah. So it is possible that Indiana State will have to win the tournament in order to get an NCAA tournament bid. They might have to win the Missouri Valley tournament. Probably, yeah. Um, I think they've got to be the favorite in that league in the regular season, though. I mean, that team is so tough. Now, some of the advantages they had in this one um, might not show up as profoundly in the Missouri Valley, in part because opponents know them a little better. But what I mean by that is, in a funny way, you could see how they were made for this particular matchup, at least. They were maybe made a little more dangerous in some ways. I'm not going to say in totality because Avila was off the floor and they had to go ultra small. That created some real problems for Michigan State defensively. You saw Sissoko and Cooper struggle at times yeah. to deal with that. You know, um, that, that may or may not be uh, an advantage in the Missouri Valley because it's not as a league where every team typically is running out guys that look like Mahdi and Carson, um, although some do. But, uh, but in any event, look, I, I – I think that's a very impressive team. I, I think nothing I saw today leads me to conclude that that win is going to be likely to mean less than it looks like it does now, which is a pretty good win. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and a lot of good things happened for Michigan State in that game. I mean, the, the one thing you talked about, which was um, defending the three. And, and look, I'm not going to try to pretend – that Michigan State executed great. I'll be interested to say, or to see what Izzo has to say. We're doing this right after the game, so we haven't seen his his post game comments. Um, it looked to me like the guards were not doing a great job getting over the top screens. Yeah, I think that's right. And that that largely. was the biggest problem. But I and and I'm not trying to excuse it or to say, hey, that's what MSU was trying to do. No, I think they probably. We're trying to be a little better, a little more efficient at getting over the top of traffic to stay with shooters or at least contest those shots because a lot of them were open looks as a result. But I will also say, and we talked about this in our preview, you could see it in this game. Indiana State runs not good, great stuff offensively. For a team that has got some first-year guys via the transfer portal mixed in, they have done an extremely good job, in my opinion, at getting that team to be cohesive offensively. And you see all the the myriad of stuff, of things that they do off their ball screen action. You know, you, you did see at times, although MSU did a pretty good job dealing with it, how effective they can be back cutting. Yeah. And that was one of the things we talked about. Like, you can't, you can't really afford against this team to really press up and do everything you can to deny the three, because if you do either via penetration or ball man movement, they're going to make you pay for it. And you could see some of that. Um, 
I, I just I, I thought they were a really tough cover, and I just want to give Michigan State a little bit, not entirely, but a little bit of the benefit of the doubt defensively that where they were struggling was in maintaining finding walking that line between maintaining discipline but also being able to challenge shooters. I think that was the problem. They didn't always execute that well, but there were times, I mean there was one pretty late in the game. I think it was um I think it was Conwell over Holloman. It was either Conwell, no, maybe it was Bledson. It was Bledson. Yeah, where late in this fairly late in the game, deep into the second half where Trey Holloman, he was on the, he was kind of on the wing, and Trey Holloman was extended out to him, contested it well, did everything right, from my point of view, short of blocking the shot, which you don't want to see him try to do. Um, and the kids still hit it. Yeah. And there were a few of those. They're, they are just a good offensive basketball team. They really are. And that was a hell of a challenge, in terms of MSU having to deal with defending a team that's got a lot of skilled guys. To, to stay concentrated um, and you know they won the game by double digits so you have to say they passed not perfect defensively by any means I promise I'll shut up and let you talk um, <laughs> uh, team comparison oh, okay this is what I was looking for so here are some stats that I thought were really interesting in this game points in the paint Michigan State 46 Indiana State 20 mm-hmm we kind of figured that might happen. When you more than double them up, that's that's real impressive. I, I I will say caveat to that. I think that stat was very much impacted by Avila, and I don't just mean him posting up some. I mean the, the fact that he has moving the ball out of the high post. I think they get more done going to the rim you yeah, you can tell that might be the case if you look at the shot that they took they they took 35 of what was it 35 of um sorry here folks i'm i call a stab 35 of their 57 shots came from three yeah that's huge that's like i didn't do the percentage but that's like what 60 percent yeah. plus <laughs> That's that's not uh, they take a lot of threes. They take 46% of their shots from 3. I don't think they wanted to do that. I think, I think Michigan State played responsibly enough that they didn't let Indiana State get a lot done inside the arc. And 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 you know, they're they're not shy about taking threes and we saw why. But still, I think that 40 to 29 was big. MSU 20 points to 12 in points off turnovers. And it, it tightened up a little bit in the turnover category in the second half, but MSU stood an advantage. And Indiana State doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So that was a positive. Um, MSU had, uh, had 12 turnovers. Indiana State had 14 for the game. Second chance points, 21 for MSU, 9 for Indiana State. Yep. MSU almost doubled them up on the offensive boards, 15 to 8. You look at MSU's offensive rebounding rate, it was nearly 50%. I mean, it was great. And Indiana State, I think, was at 25. Correct. Yep. So, job done there. Fast break points, MSU with a 10 to 7 edge. We we always debate this stat. I felt like it was more profound an edge than that stat would, would tell us. I thought Michigan State did a pretty good job of getting into transition where the opportunities were there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, just you look up and down. Here's one that kind of surprised me. Time leading in this game because it felt like in that second half period where Indiana State seemed like they got control a little bit. Indiana State only led for five minutes and five seconds of this game. MSU led for 29 minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah. So they, that number tells you they really did, and, and the game was tied for five minutes and 29 seconds. Michigan State really did largely control this game. They had that period in the second half where they let ISU, you know, right out of the gate, they let Indiana State get right back in it. And then I think Indiana State got maybe as much as a five-point lead. It was either five or six. I think five, yeah. It was the max. Yeah. And then MSU came back and, and MSU came back and took control. So overall, really happy with what MSU did. Yeah, I was looking there. It says they're up five with ten thirty-eight left. That was their biggest lead late in the game. Um, yeah, I thought I thought largely this game felt very much like an NCAA tournament game. It's totally the kind of team you run into, a team that gets hot and. And, yep. and uh, you know, the, what happened to Avila uh, really just reminds me of, you see this happen a number of times when a guy gets in foul trouble early and he just never gets, just never gets in the flow of the game. And yeah, he played 18 minutes, but it certainly didn't feel like it. Yep. It felt like he was kind of barely even there. And when he get right. in, he get a foul almost immediately. I, you know, to, to Madi Sissoko's credit, I mean, they went at Avila to take him out of the game. And aside from that really bad call on yep. him, his second foul, which was totally baloney. Uh, they did a great job attacking him and forcing him and exploiting his slowness, we'll say, uh, and, and forcing him to foul. And I think that probably surprised the, the Indiana State. I'm sure they didn't expect that. I mean, I certainly didn't expect Michigan State to attack, you know, through through the bigs in the post. I, I agree with that. And I also think they did a good job of going at him with the guards. If you think about yep. that, that right. spin move that AJ had where he went right at him. And, you know, the kids got to play smarter than that to not, to not reach um, the way he did, but it, it there was definitely an intent by Michigan State, and even some buckets at Michigan State. There were a couple baskets that Tyson had at the rim where um, they, he went right at Avila, and you know the smart it's smart move because either he's probably going to foul you if he tries to contest the shot, or he's really not going to try to contest the shot. He's going to more or less go straight up and you're going to be able to get a good attempt. And, and Tyson was able to, to score in a couple of those. So they did it both ways, being in foul trouble where he really couldn't defend the way he might normally want to. And then, as you said, they made those plays, some in the post, some with guards attacking to get him in foul trouble and to keep the pressure on. It was a big deal. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. And if I were Indiana State, I would certainly feel like that was the most important part of that game. I'm sure they do. Um, but I also think his fouls were more or less deserved. So yeah, you can well, argue about one of them maybe. But, um, you know, I think that uh, I think that for the most part, they were good calls. And he's he's so important to them. You know, if I if I were them, I guess I would look at it and say, well, that's a learning experience because he's still only a sophomore. Yeah, he's got time. You know, he's not a fourth or a fifth year guy. So he's still learning, I, I would suspect. He's still learning those kind of situations. And and look, every I looked at their schedule and, you know, they'd only we talked about they'd only played one other high major team. They played Alabama. No offense to Alabama, but Alabama's guards this year are not as good as Michigan State's. They're okay. 
Their Sears is good, but they're not. A, they don't put you under the pressure that Michigan State's guards do. And I think that's a difference too. That you're all of a sudden in this game where you're facing those four guys, counting Holloman, coming at you. It's a different animal, you know. And 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 that's credit to Michigan State too. And we'll return to this when we talk about the keys. But man, just the way that they attacked the basket in this game was so refreshing to see just the intention say, we are going to look to play downhill. And all four of those guys did it. You know, AJ's got to be the straw that stirs the drink, but all four of them had their moments doing that. So I was, I was really happy about that. Um, Just some individual play real quick. Uh, Obviously Tyson, you know, 22 points and he got it the hard way. 5 of 15 from the floor, but 10 of 10 at the line, which was really nice to see. He was due. <laughs> given how he's been shooting. Yeah, he was. And they were big free throws. A lot of them were important. Pressure you know, ones, were, yeah. Michigan State was trying to pull away. Um, five assists to one turnover. That's big, again, because we know Michigan State, especially when AJ's off the floor, they're going to kind of be sharing some of those point guard duties. And you saw that in this game. You saw Tyson initiate offense. You saw Trey do some of it. You even saw Jaden do a little of it. So those are all really, really good numbers. Jaden Akins with 13 points, but man, four offensive rebounds. That is what you want to see. I have I was so impressed with that. Um, just huge, huge plays from him on the offensive glass. Um, and he's still shooting well. He's five for ten overall, two for five from three. You'll take that every day of the week. AJ. 17 points, six for 11 from the floor, one for three from three, four for four at the line. Like to see a few more free throws, but that's good. Uh, four rebounds, four assists. Uh, I'm sorry, two rebounds, four assists, two turnovers. Uh, had a couple blocks and a steal. Overall, very, very happy with AJ's game. He was getting himself into the lane, playing downhill, being exactly the kind of presence they need him to be. You mentioned Mahdi, 12 boards. <laughs> he was a monster. That's six points, too, but 12 boards, man. That's that's Yeoman's work. And it's exactly, if you're going to play him in a game like that one evolved into where um, he's, he's largely playing against guys that are giving up three or four inches to him, you need him to make his presence felt there, right? Yep. Otherwise, it's largely wasted, and he did. Malik Hall, 18 points, eight boards, five assists, um, shredded late in that game when Indiana State, no, I'll give their coach credit. He tried something. He broke out that zone Whoops. <laughs> to try to throw get Michigan State out of whack. Malik Hall, two for two, just looking very, very comfortable in the middle of that thing. No, and we've seen him do that in other games recently. I, I would suspect the way Michigan State attacked that zone and those couple of possessions late that Indiana State tried it, I think it's likely to mean we see less of that from Big Ten teams. Because over not just in this game either, the last couple of games, teams have tried that, and MSU has looked very good attacking it. And I think in Malik's case, you know, that first possession, they get the ball in the middle of it to him, and just one quick move, very confident, turnaround jumper, bang. And that's exactly what you want out of a guy in that role. 
need to be decisive. The worst thing you can do is be indecisive. And it's funny, he suffers from indecision sometimes against man, and yet against the zone, which sometimes will flummox players, he looks very, very confident and assertive. And it's funny how sometimes that kind of thing can have that kind of psychological impact on a player, but he looks very, very comfortable against his own. So consequently, I would not expect to see opponents trying a lot more of that than they would otherwise. It's interesting how watching Malik, because you have these games where he looks so smooth and good like this one. And, and I don't know if it was just the opponent he's more comfortable with, or just the strategy of him driving, because I feel like a lot of teams, they'll double him right away. And they did that late, you know, Indiana state, but uh, they also did it early. Yeah. And that, and, and I guess maybe it's because there aren't enough shooters around when he has it. I, I'm not quite sure, but he definitely looks a little uncomfortable sometimes because we definitely have seen that yeah. with Jackson Kohler. Like, I mean, last season, as soon as Kohler got the ball, a double came hard mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. but Malik is a better ball handler. So I expect, you know, I, it may just be just happenstance, but he certainly looked comfortable out there. And once the don't zone hit, boy, Michigan State looked like, okay, it almost relaxed. Like it was easy. <laughs> It's like an easy bucket. Well, yeah, you know? it was too. Yeah, it was too quick because Malik hit the jumper, and then I don't. Did they get a bucket at the rim? Was it yeah. Malik again, or was it one of the bigs? Yeah, just very, very easy. Yeah, um, and that's why I don't expect we're going to see opponents throwing that at them a lot. I mean, you may still see people do it as a change of pace or what have you, but um, I wouldn't zone Michigan State. And I also think anything that gives Michigan state easier looks from three. I don't think you want to do, you want to make them have to earn it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you even saw Jaden attack the rim a couple times too. Uh, he still doesn't look quite, he's that's not as clever with his, with his handle, like Walker or AJ, obviously, but, no, but even, no. even Holloman, he had that one drive where he went into got a little floater from. That's eight feet. what I mean. I mean it, all four they guys, good, yeah. all four guys did it. They, they all had moments where they got downhill. Yeah, Trey, you know, look, two for six from the floor, over two from three for four points, but he had four rebounds, three assists, one turnover, one block, three steals. That's a solid contribution. You'll take that every day of the week. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other two guys that played, Carson Cooper, three points, five boards, and a block in 16 minutes. I, I you know, I thought Madi was the better of the two today, but Carson hunt in there made some contributions. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Cohen Carr had two dunks in the first half, two rebounds also had two turnovers, unfortunately in 17 minutes. But I think this is what we're going to see. I mean, you had Michigan state with a, with an eight man rotation. Um, we didn't see Xavier Booker in this one, which, you know, you'd like to have gotten him an opportunity, but, um, uh, especially when Indiana State had to go so small, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I was seeing the same we thing. See him. You you don't want him guarding a six six guy who's got some ball skills. That just that that's not going to end well. Um, you know, Jackson Kohler. Good news there is um, that he is back uh, practicing. Mm-hmm. The boot was off. Yep. And it sounds like they're expecting him maybe Penn State, but soon. And, you know, here's the thing. And I was thinking about this during the game. Right now, Michigan State 
probably doesn't have a great answer for playing small ball. Um, they've tried to do it on some occasions with Malik and Cohen, but I don't think it's worked very well. No, and, and part of the problem is, you know, defensive rebounding has been such an issue at times with this team and it just makes them even weaker there. So they, they really struggle to rebound defensively when that lineup has been tried. I do wonder, you know, I've talked about how I'm skeptical as to how much of an opportunity there's going to be for Jackson. But I would say that's a possibility. If he can prove that he can hang defensively, you know, it's not a pure small ball lineup, but it's, it's a different lineup than the one we've got. It's a lineup that wouldn't include Marty or Carson on the floor, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a possibility there, depending upon how he looks defensively, um, that I could see. I could see that. So that's maybe something to watch to see if he can carve out a niche for himself. You know, the only other comment I have about the game, just in general, is you know, Michigan State had a lot of trouble starting games the last, um, you know, early in the season. It was a real problem. Yeah. Been largely solved. I did not think they had a problem this game getting going. They seemed nope. fine. Agreed. And. And the thing I think was impressive too is, the, again, why I sort of felt like this is an NCAA tournament game. There, it feels like you know a four or five, a four you know four thirteen, four thirteen matchup yep. or five twelve, right? Where a team yep. comes back, the the underdog, and the crowd gets into it. it's like you know ten minutes left in the second half, and you think, uh oh, and then the team, and then your team either responds or they sort of fold. And Michigan State responded very positively. They closed out Agreed. the game strong, which they, you know, failed to do against Nebraska, failed to do against Arizona, failed to do against Duke. You know, options they had to win early in the season, they they went the opposite direction. And this time they they closed out a game that was definitely it was definitely in, in doubt. And so unlike a lot of the games, you know, like Baylor was not even in question, you know, so they didn't that was the sort of thing that they hadn't been sort of challenged on recently. So now they've seen that challenge and I thought I was very impressed with how they responded. I I agree. And that is worth worth talking about for a second. Now, now look, MSU was at home. That's an advantage right, you don't yeah, get right. in the tournament. Uh, but nevertheless, look, I mean, MSU has lost two home games this year <laughs> yeah. against James Madison against Wisconsin. So we know it's not an automatic, right? The fact that they were able to, and, and this also was not, a, was the is own there? No, I don't think no, they were. No, they're on break still. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. To respond when when it feels like, and especially look the emotion of dealing with um, a team raining threes is a tough thing to overcome at times. You know, yeah, it can be, and the fa- and that's what was going on, and the fact that MSU was able to ride that out and um, and get the job done very important, very impressive. And and kept, you know, other than a couple of poor decisions late in inbounding situations, yeah. um, did a pretty good job. You know, they didn't give them, they didn't really give them any life no. either. That was also important. No, it's it was yeah. Indiana State really seemed like they just were they whatever mojo they had, they sort of lost by about four minutes left in the game or three and a half, and they just suddenly yeah. All those shots they were making suddenly now they're missing them, and then suddenly no one seemed to want to shoot. It was very. I mean, I think Michigan State just kind of had them. You know, they, I think they sort of realize they missed their chance. You also, 
expect at look, even for a team that, I mean, as shocking as this might seem, Michigan state actually did hold them slightly under their seasonal average. For <laughs> right, three. Barely. Yeah. <laughs> but you do expect that at some point they're going to revert to the mean. They can't get, I mean, there were points in that game yeah, well into that they game. Were 50%. They were above 50%. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So you figure that, okay, some of these have got to miss. They can't all keep going. And they got enough of those. But I also think they did a better job, a little better job contesting later in the game too. So. Yeah, I think so. All right, we'll go into our player who definitely did the best job cleaning the glass, brought to you by the Squeegee Squad. They are a great company out franchise out of Grand Rapids. They can do residential, commercial window cleaning, but not just window cleaning. They can take care of your house washing uh, with power washing, but they do it at low pressure, so it doesn't actually damage the house. It does a lot better clean. They actually get up on ladders, uh, which is something I refuse to do. Uh, they get up right next to the window, so they get a nice streak-free clean. And also, they don't they use uh, soap too. So again, you don't they don't beat up on your the side of your house and your paint and stuff like that. So they do a fantastic job. You can listen to the show, get fifteen percent off if they mention rebound when they get an estimate. You can find links to get an estimate at squeegeesquad.com/slash grand hyphen rapids hyphen Michigan, or you can just pick the link that's on below, which is probably easier. Uh, so player who was best cleaning the glass today was Madi Sissoka. We had both suspected it was going to be someone outside, one of the guards. I had picked Aikens, and you picked Hall, and so we were both wrong. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, we're going to take credit for those, though. Yeah. <laughs> because Malik Hall had eight boards, three of them offensive. Jaden had four, all on the offensive end. Those were good choices. It just so happens Mahdi was the top rebounder. He was just a monster today. So, but I, yeah, four offensive, twelve total, really great. But I'm I'm going to give us a mul- both a mulligan on that because <laughs> I think our choices were good. And you know we make the it rules. Just, my thinking was my, right. My <laughs> thinking was going in. Hey, this is a team that shoots a ton of threes, and boy, did they ever! Um, you expect a lot of long rebounds. That means it could be other guys rather than your center. But and they did; those guys were really important. But um, Madi was just a tower of strength. Yeah, he, I mean, he had one defensive no rebound in the second half it. where he came in. He was outside the three point line and got the rebound. Like I saw him race all the way yep. back and got the defensive rebound. So he did a great job. And he's, you know, he's just not thinking as much now. I feel he's just kind of re- he's just playing the game, which is which is where he was struggling in the first you know, however how many games of the season where he just kind of seemed very yep. pedestrian. And now he's just, you know, bringing that energy and stuff that you kind of remembered the Mahdi who's a fouling Mahdi, but now he's not fouling, but he's bringing that same energy and intensity. You know, and Rob, Robbie Hummel made that point during the broadcast that, you know, he struggled early this season, but this is the Mahdi Sissoko in terms of the contributions that he made that Michigan state needs. And, and Mahdi and Carson combined for 12 defensive rebounds and 17 overall. That's pretty good. Okay, small opponent who had their one legit big man on the bench for more than half the game. I get it, but that's what you should do. Yeah. Again, so those guys did what they should do, which you give credit for that, yep. you know? And uh, hi, Robbie. We know you listen to the show, so thanks. <laughs> so we know you, <laughs> you take away what you get from our analysis, too. Uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, we'll go on uh, then to the Michigan State player that they had to keep well the Michigan State player that they had to keep in the gutter and that was Avila and boy I mean we've already gone over that they just totally destroyed his basically his effectiveness in the, the, the game so Indiana State had to play a different way he had 18 minutes two for five from the line or from the field one for four from three miss all three is free throws had six rebounds and just fairly short stint on the floor um, but you know two assists 
no and three turnovers and he was a guy with a, with That's a, big a high assist to turnover ratio and that, so that was very unusual they did a really great job bottling up finished with five points they did a fantastic job keeping him in the gutter and that of course is brought to you by the brothers Justice gutters if you need gutter work in michigan which you know who doesn't uh, we have you covered in the grand rapids area and the metro detroit area you can get information find out how you can find have them come in Check out your gutters. They can repair them. They clean them. They can replace them. Whatever you need done, not just your home, but also your business. So whatever you need done, the brothers, just your gutters, do fantastic work. And again, those are the guys who get up in the ladders. I think all our sponsors just pretty much get in ladders. And I guess hopefully Michigan <laughs> State gets on ladders in a couple months here, right? In April. That'd be awesome. Uh, that's right. That'd be great. Um, so anyway. Um, the, well, <laughs> so real, real quick on, uh, on okay, Avila. Um, yeah, th- he came in with a two-to-one Assisted right. turnover yeah, yeah, ratio. Yeah. We're not talking about eight assists and four turnovers. He's a he's a guy they run things through. So not just that they kept him off the floor, but that even when he was on the floor, as you said, not effective. Maybe maybe the best illustration of a point you made that the foul trouble seemed to take him out of the game completely. This is a guy who's I believe is a seventy eight percent free throw shooter yeah. who went zero for three. He just never found it when he was on the floor, the three turnovers that's, I think he had 20 on the year coming in something like that. And they got him for three in this game alone. So really, really impressive stuff in totality, the way Michigan state dealt with him when he was on the floor, the way they handled him, where they attacked him to get him in foul trouble. And they didn't really let him have opportunities to get going. So very important stuff. Yep. All right, so we'll move on then to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is your go-to stop for Spartan and other collegiate apparel. You can find them at nudgeprinting.com. Listeners of the show get 20% off if they type in Final Four at checkout. Uh, you can find all kinds of vintage Michigan State gear, hoodies, sweatshirts, T-shirts, whatever you need. Also, they have all kinds of wall stickers and stickers for like a computer or cornhole. There's so much stuff, I can't even go through all of it, but I can tell you it's high quality, very comfortable screen printed material um, process. So it goes through the wash many, 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 many times. And it's all the most popular apparel for my family. Uh, nudge printing is just great. You can find by at nudgeprinting.com. Uh, the five keys to the game. The first one is defend, which we were talking mostly about, mainly about the arc, but not entirely. Uh, the fact that they had a lot of um, backdoor cutting and things like that, which as you point out, Michigan State did a good job defending you know, three-point shooting, I don't know. It just it kind of was what it was. Uh, you know, look, Indiana State shot 44% from the floor. That's that's a number that's higher than you want to give up yeah. in any game if you're MSU. But let's keep in mind, this is, as we talked about, and I think as anybody who watched that game would agree with, um, this is an elite offensive team. They really are not just in terms of their ability to hit shots, that's nice, but when you see the kind of stuff that they run, how they play together as a unit, it's very impressive. That was something that Hummel kept hammering on in the broadcast, and rightly so, in my opinion, how much fun they are to watch. If I could have been a neutral fan, as I will be, actually, I'll be an Indiana State fan the rest of the way because I want this game to continue to mean something, so you want them to keep winning, but Man, watching them play, I'm going to make it a point to uh, to try to catch them on some other occasions this winter because uh, they run some great stuff. And, and as I mentioned, 
some of those guys, it's not like they've got five fifth-year seniors that have been together. No. They're kind of a standard-issue team these days in the in the modern environment where um, they got a lot of guys who have transferred in. A Swope, who was their best player today, he was at Southern Indiana last year. They mentioned on the broadcast he hit them for 28 in a game last season, and they said, okay, let's see if we can get this guy. <laughs> yeah. um, Smart. Uh, yeah. And he's really good. And the fact that they – play this well together with that kind of say it's it's a credit to that coaching staff i mentioned it in our preview this guy running that program i don't know that he's gonna you know fans in uh terra hot enjoy him while you got him because if i were if i were a coach uh, or if i were an ad rather in the big 10 or the big 12 and i needed a guy i would give that some serious thought well, let's because hope it doesn't end up in Ann Arbor, huh? <laughs> well, they they won't allow themselves to do no, that. No, I understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, look, that's now. Yeah, do, do they have flaws? Yeah, they're not a very good defensive team, and you saw that in this game at, at times. But um, or rather, they're not capable. I think some of it is is actually physical limitations that hurts them. They just don't have size. Um, and their guards kind of struggle to keep people in front of them at times too. But um, that's an impressive, impressive offensive program. So I, I keep that in mind and I think, well, you know, Michigan state did enough defensively. It wasn't quite at the level they've been playing these three previous games, but, and there were some unique challenges to it, but I think they did enough. Yeah. I think quietly too, Michigan state from an offensive standpoint, been pretty impressive. I mean, 87 this game, 99 last game against Stony Brook, 79 against yeah. Oakland, 88 against Baylor. I mean, they've been, that goes along with the fact that they've been playing much better defense too. I mean, as we've talked about. And they've times. been that, and the, and that's helped them for sure because they've generated some easy baskets from their defense, but they're playing faster. Yeah, right. Yeah, They're just playing faster. And that's a key for this group. I mean, we see it. This is, this is not Wisconsin, man. <laughs> Thank These goodness. guys have got to pick it up. They got to play fast if they're gonna if they're gonna maximize what they can be. And we've been seeing it lately, and it's it's really encouraging. I was just gonna say I appreciate your great segue into the second key to the game, which is the push. Yeah, <laughs> Michigan State. Yep, trying to play fast. Uh, Indiana State likes to play flat, fast. And again, you know the ten seven fast break points were close, but Michigan State had a lot of secondary um, baskets, or at least things where they were able to get going real quickly in the shot clock. Yeah, you know, MSU had, um, let me look at the 61 field goal attempts. Yeah. That's a good number. When you're 60 plus, that's generally, I've heard Izzo talk about that. 60 is generally the target he wants to hit. He wants to be in the 60s. So you get to 61 field goal attempts. And by the way, free throws too. they get that on a day where they also take 27 free throws. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're getting a lot of offensive possessions. That's there. impressive. Yeah. So yes, the tempo is getting where it needs to be. Yeah, you could definitely see that stretch when Indiana State took the lead. They How they were playing very fast, very you know quick rhythm, hitting the th- quick threes. Uh, and then they got it sort of out of, Michigan State sort of got out of that up almost like frenetic sort of pace for the Indiana State was playing. And then the controlled push was, uh, was very effective. So third key to the game was Avila. We talked about that. He was largely neutralized and was unable to really, I mean, it was a different team basically playing. Yeah. It's a, it's a very much so. 
And it's a, you know, it's a hard thing to answer definitively because on the one hand, I'd say you have to give a team credit for playing well without the guy, everything goes through. Right. That's impressive. Sure. But then you can say, well, that, that hurt them. And that was to Michigan state's advantage. that They weren't able to play. They normally do. And that seems to make sense. But then I would also say there were points in that game where you wondered, God, is Michigan state actually paying a price? I think there was a stage and I don't yeah. think it stayed this way, but there was a stage where the broadcast called out that Indiana state was a plus 10 with Avila off. And we keep, I keep saying Avila, you keep saying Avila. We don't know which is right because as tiger fans may remember, you had the player, Alex, who pronounced his name Avila and the father, the assistant general manager. And then eventually the general manager of the tigers, Al, who pronounced it Avila. Yes. So I'm going with the father's pronunciation. Eric is going with the son. We don't know who's right. One was but a anyway, bum completely. Just as an aside. <laughs> just as an aside. Um, but you do, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it right. was watching that game at certain stages. You're like, God, I, I might prefer Avila out right, there. Right, right, right. Because they're just really struggling to stay with five shooters. Like, And Avila's a shooter, but you can see it's a different thing than – a six, six guy who's got some quickness and shake to him. That's not Avalon. I, I think on balance, Michigan state benefited from him sitting as much as he did. Let's that, that's where I land. I think so too. But yeah, you know, it was still, it was, it was a different kind of challenge for MSU. And I will say why two things. One, I don't think Michigan state is going to run into a better offensive team at least in the regular season this year. There is nobody in the Big Ten, in my opinion, that runs offense that looks better than that, has that kind of perimeter shooting, all of those things, uh, takes care of the ball generally, all of those things. There's nobody in the Big Ten who does it better. I mean, Purdue is a different kind of animal, yeah. but they don't run better offense than Indiana State does. Um, so that's good that they faced that kind of challenge and got through it. Uh, the other end of that is the way a lot of this game was played. It's unlikely Michigan state's going to see anything like that in the league. You know, you're just, you're not gonna, that that's a, that's a test that if you're fortunate enough to get to March, you know, which I'm feeling better about every day that goes by, but we got to see, um, you refer back to this for that kind of game. Like you had said, a four thirteen game, yeah, a five 12, you might see that kind of challenge where it's a five out thing. And, and your center is going to have to guard a six, seven guy. That's got some handle to him. You know, yep. um, that could be, that could be challenging. They're not going to see anything like what we just saw for most of that game in the big 10 though. It's highly unlikely. So move on to the fourth key to the game, which is rebounding. And as we mentioned before, Indiana State with 25% offensive rebounding rate, Michigan State with 47%. You know, off, yeah. Indiana State was a really terrible offensive rebounding team, one of the worst in the country, whether they're 344th or something. Yeah. Further, yeah, something like that. They probably did a little better than their, their seasonal and numbers the in splits, this game. Though, I, and I don't know the splits for the first and second half. I think the first half, I don't think they had any. Maybe they had one. In the second half, they, they had, definitely they had, got like, some I work think they had, Which is when they made their comeback. I think they had... I think they had two and they ended with nine. So yeah, they were clearly better in the second half that, that, you know, but still I can't, no, I can't it's... get upset with Michigan state for a 25% offensive rebounding rate. 
What I can do, though, is be very satisfied with what MSU did at the other end. Yes. Now, again, you could talk about, well, they had to go small and da, 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 all that. Okay, fair enough. I don't care. <laughs> We've seen Michigan State play smaller teams before and not have a 47% offensive rebounding rate. And Indiana State as a team, as opposed to the offensive end, has been pretty good, as we talked about in the preview, defensively. And you don't necessarily need to have a ton of size to be a decent defensive rebounding team. If you've got get good position, you've got some toughness and some anticipation in your players, you can usually be okay. And Michigan State did a great job of taking advantage of what was there for them on the offensive board. So that was really critical. And and they killed Indiana State on second chance points. I mean, oh, of course, yeah. I'll go back to it. I know we I know we talked about it, but it was a huge. 21 to nine because MSU as often happens, didn't just score. They got a fair amount of threes off those second chances. Oh yeah. The one where Malik Hall always rebounded nice. from his back and then yep. passed it on to, I think it's Walker for the three. Um, and so the fifth key to the game was offensive balance. Michigan State with 46 points, the paint plus, as you mentioned, uh, 23 free throws, uh, 18 points from behind the arc. So, Good offensive balance, and they weren't they weren't forcing it in the three. They're all good looks, and probably you know maybe a couple that should have gone down, but just didn't quite. But anyway, I think really good there too. And uh, I think you know you add in you add in the uh, you add in the threes, you add in the work done at the free throw line. Which, by the way, we should not let go <laughs> uncommented upon. Right. Twenty three for twenty seven for a team that came in shooting 68% and has really struggled. We talked about Tyson going 10 for 10 individually, which was good, but as a team, really, really good and important performance in this one. And that also needs to keep up. I mean, it feels like the three point shooting has more or less been solved. They were 35% today. Not great, but you know, you can live with that. Yeah. Um, it certainly, I think, keeps their streak intact. It's now at five games where they've shot 35% or better from three. That's a, that's a number you can live with. So continued improvement there. But, man, seeing this team step up at the line, very, very important. Yeah, we both expect maybe about 70, mid-70s by the end of the season, wouldn't you expect? I mean, they should with all their well, cards. Well, it depends. It, that depends on many things including how many chances they get you know sure how often they're at the line because they've got ground to make up but <laughs> good point <laughs> you, you've got a well you but you've got a point in that we're only what was this a 13th game of the season yeah. so there's more than half the season to go so if they can you know i don't know if they can get to mid 70s but i would think it's entirely within the range of possibility that they can get into you know the 72 73 percent range i would i would like to think they can do that and you know that's that's not ideal you hope for better than that but if you get to that range it's also not an albatross you're dragging around with you it's not a weakness a weakness is if you're in the mid 60s they're now 70 percent. just so i just looked it up so okay well maybe i'm Maybe I'm under, and I'm figuring they're not going to go 23 for 27 any time, every time out, but you might be right. You string a few more of those together, they could be right They could be right there. Yeah, right where you expect them. Uh, so I think that'll probably wrap it up for the game discussion, unless there's something else you want to add, because I'd like to talk about Jeremy no, Fears real quick. Uh, just, a very, just a very, very important, 
win for Michigan State. Don't undervalue it. I, I think most Michigan State people know that this was a good opponent, but you really – this was one that scared me from the moment I saw it on the schedule because I, I knew Indiana State was expected to be good, and they are. Yeah. They are every bit of good. And to win it, and as you said, showing some resiliency in the second half to boot, hats off. That's a that's a good way to go back into Big Ten play. Yeah, it was not a game that you felt like they let the team come in, you know, that was just a good team that they're playing. I mean, you know, they're not a yeah. great team, but they're a good team for sure. They're a solid team. Uh, so I just want to just briefly talk about Jeremy Fears. I know I, we touched on it before in the pregame a little bit uh, after the shooting incident with Jeremy Fears. Um, so I reached out to a couple of my orthopedic friends because I know we want to talk about sort of timetables and things like that. And so I reached to a couple of them. They had pretty much the same, the ones I talked to had pretty much the same um, uh, opinions. The one I'll just mention briefly is my uh, friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Kendall Hamilton. He's an orthopedic sports surgeon at Corwell Health. He takes care of high school collegiate and pro athletes. Now, he doesn't deal with a lot of ballistics injuries <laughs> for obvious reasons. I don't think a lot of people <laughs> in that line of work do, um, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. Yes, <laughs> certainly not with athletes, right? You don't see this a whole lot. but That's what I mean. Yeah, right. His specialty, particularly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but he obviously knows a lot about it, and so he just gave me he gave me the most detailed sort of explanation of what to, to look for. And so the caveat, of course, before I begin this is, you know, we don't know exactly what the injuries were. I haven't seen reports. I don't know exactly like, you know, the extent of the damage or et cetera. Right. So these are all sort of guesses in some, in some respects, but I can just kind of go over the general sort of um, things to know. So one is the, the bony injury. So there's two parts. There's a soft tissue and there's a bony injury. So the bony injury is obviously the, the bullet struck the bone because we know that because they had to extract it. We don't know the extent of damage to the bone. The fact they had to extract it means that there was a fracture. Now it does not mean it was broken in half, but that there was, um, you know, a loss of integrity of the bone itself. And so it's, you know, you can imagine that it's easy to take the, bo the bullet out of the bone, but it can actually be pretty hard because you have to get down through the soft tissue and actually the femur, which is the bone I'm assuming that was struck because I think it was in the thigh, uh, which is the large yep. bone, in your, your uh, upper leg, uh, that is pretty deep, especially, you know, lots of muscle and tissue to get through. And so, sure. um, so it's hard to get good visualization of where you can see the entrance, but you don't really know where it goes in. Cause you don't know the angle oftentimes when you just see a wound on the skin. So, uh, even with fluoroscopy, which I'm sure they used also, I would say, and I don't know this to be the case, but my guess is my hunch is that it did take a number of hours to do the surgery, but probably whoever it is is not doing a lot of these surgeries extracting bone bullets from bones. I just don't think it's a very common sort of surgery. Now, I don't personally take care of much gunshot wounds. I'm an anesthesiologist, so I just know how to wake people up, put them to sleep, and raise and lower the bed. That's pretty much you know my job. Uh, so, um, so anyway, as far as the the bone goes, I. We have to assume it's a fracture. The extent of what had they had to do and repair, I've not heard any word from that. That actually makes a big difference. If it was just a s small injury in the sense that they didn't have to put plating or you know, any sort of hardware into to the defect, probably they put some bone graft in. I'm not sure, but I'm assuming so. And so that will heal, I suspect, pretty well. But when you can actually put actual weight on it, totally depends on how the extent of bone damage. Um, so it could be months, it could be weeks. It just sort of depends probably at least four weeks. So that is one aspect of it. Obviously there are other structures in the area that can, can be very important. There are veins or arteries, there are nerves, there are tendons from at least the description we've, I've heard. It doesn't sound like any of those structures were 
damaged. Uh, you know, obviously it was close because everything's close in that area. If it hits a bone, it's close to all that stuff. So it, it, none of those were hit. So otherwise it'd be a really long surgery. So if that's the case, then you just have to go on the soft tissue damage. And I'm just going to read what Dr. Hamill sent to me because I could not possibly do it uh, uh, justice. So the soft tissue damage would include mus injuries to the muscle, to the skin, the subcutaneous tissue. So that's everything under the skin possible peripheral nerves. Um, the muscles heal rather predictably, but skin fat and nerves can be less predictable. So he would you know, check everything out to see what would happen and what the damage would be. So he's looking for swelling, seromas, which is like a, f a collection of fluid that, it, that can occur. That's not blood, but just like um, lymph lymphatic fluid. Uh, and then make sure nothing's compressive, you know, stretch injuries to the nerves and, and things like that. Uh, so you have to grade the damage. So grade one would be minimal damage to those tissues grade two be moderate and grade three be major. So that's totally depends. The, the length of time that he's out would be to dependent on how you grade the soft tissue damage. Basically, uh, those are distinguished based on injuries to your surrounding subcutaneous fat and nerves. So grade one injury would take four to six weeks before he'd engage, begin engaging in non-contact practice and drills. Grade two and three injuries, bit of low overlap. So those could take anywhere between eight to 16 weeks before engaging in non-contact practice drills and shoot around. Uh, once the athletes just demonstrate good conditioning, normal muscular control and coordination, then contact practice and return to full contact within a minutes restriction would be initiated. And so that's sort of the, um, the general thought. So it really depends on how much soft tissue. And if you ever watched a video of a bullet going through, you know, the ballistics gelatin, it's the shock wave that is oftentimes what can cause a lot of damage as it gets to wherever it's headed. Uh, and so it depends on the, the caliber of the bullet. So if it's a small one, it's going to cause less damage than a bigger one. So, and I don't think, I certainly don't know. I didn't look at the police report or anything like that. So I don't have, I have no idea what it was used. My hunch is it was not um, a large caliber because I think it would have been a little bit more concern about uh, with the surgery and et cetera. So again, I don't know this, but my hunch is there's a chance that he could be, we could see him again, but we'd have to know the extent of the injury to the soft tissue. And again, I haven't seen reports of that, but so I guess I would say maybe we'll see him back and it might be sooner than we think. He looked okay walking around with the crutches and such. I mean, he didn't look comfortable, but he didn't look, well, he was actually there. And, and so, you know, again, the, the other, well, I think that's, that's the thing. Cause we talked about this on the pregame. I was honestly pleasantly surprised because yeah. we had, we had been speculating in our discussion. Well, how soon I don't think either one of us necessarily expected him to be at this game. Um, so the fact that he was the fact that he's on campus, MSU is going to direct his rehabilitation. Um, those are all positive. He's going to be around his teammates. Those are all positive signs in my opinion. So um, the, look, I, none of us know the answer and, and that would, even include his doctors in, in this sense. For sure. I, and you can, you can back me up or contradict me if you think <laughs> I'm wrong, but, um, my understanding is that, um, when it comes to healing, we're all kind of unique and you never know for sure how one body as opposed to another is going to react to the same set of circumstances. Right. Right. Um, and there can also be very, very, what would seem to be minute differences from circumstance to circumstance that end up being really important mm -hmm. in the end. Yep. So, um, so we don't know uh, my mindset, just looking at this and, and 
thinking about it as, as a fan and as a non-physician is I'm expecting that he's done for the year. My expectation, based on the little bit of information that we've gotten, the way he looks, which is not a very good thing to base it on, but <laughs> no, I'll say it anyway, sure. the fact that he's on crutches and all of that, yeah. um, my hope and I think reasonable expectation is what I think I said in our, our preview. Get him back full go or real close to it by April so that he's got a full off season. That to me is uh, seems to be from the little bit we know a realistic target that would be great because the biggest thing is from a bat. And I'm only talking from a basketball point of view here, right. obviously mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say that, but the biggest thing is, Hey, Jeremy's got to be ready to carry the load next year because he's going to be the primary point guard. Mm -hmm. There'll be other guys that can help, but he's going to, you know, we're expecting AJ Hogard. He could come back. We're expecting he's probably done after this year. Um, and if that's the case, it's going to be on Jeremy. So I, if, if that were the outcome, they say, Hey, beginning of April, or maybe even a little bit into March, um, he's, he's fully ready to go. He can do everything. He can practice fully, no restrictions, no limitations. Hey, I'm, I'm doing somersaults metaphorically. Um, that's, <laughs> that would be great. Um, yeah. if they get him back this season, that gets into the that's too good to believe kind of category for me because that what that would mean is i mean to have any kind of meaning to it it would mean that he's basically got to have a two-month recovery right because yeah if he were back by the end of february well then you're into the last week or so maybe 10 days i have to look at the schedule of the regular season and then it's postseason that that's a challenge mm -hmm. for anybody to yeah. come off a two month layoff and then come back. Now we've talked about it before. Theoretically, he could do it because jump shooting is not a major component of his game. And that's the thing that likely will take the longest to come back around once he is start to be, once he can start practicing again. But, um, I'm just, I'm putting that in the, in the, too good to be true category for now. And if we get a pleasant surprise, Hey, we're all thrilled. Yep. Um, but to, to me, that's the biggest thing is let's get him back for a full off season. I agree. And I would, the only other two things I'd add is one is that there is a potential that he'll have a permanent physical limitations from the injury. Uh, I, again, we don't know the extent of it. So it is possible that he will have trouble moving or jumping or things like that. Uh, which, as you mentioned before, with Mateen Cleaves, his injury, now that was much more extensive injury where he yeah. hurt his back. But it, it's still, the, the potential is there. I mean, it's gone, there's been damage to the muscle, and so you never know how things, you know, did, how you're did you get a did you get a Did you get a sense from your discussions with your colleagues as to how, I understand they're working with massively yeah, right, imperfect yeah. information, but did you get a sense of how likely they thought that kind of outcome might be? Well, one said that he would have some permanent damage. And the other said, it just kind of depends. Really? So now you could have permanent damage and lose 5% of, you know, whatever. And it may be not even, you may not notice it, right? Maybe he can never right. dunk again, or maybe he can only, you know, lay it up. I I don't know. I don't know what the true implications of that are. Yeah. Nor, and, uh, and it's nothing we can uh, do about it. The other thing, the other thing I'd say is that there is also the psychological component. I mean, he did get shot. 
Um, you know, I don't, his assailant, I think is still out and about or whatever. I know he's not in Chicago mm-hmm. anymore. So there's always that aspect to not knowing him. I mean, we have idea what he's like and so, you know, but it's hard to know how anyone responds to that sort of thing. And so that's always another component that, uh, right. Hamilton just said, you know, that's also the thing he worries about. You know, th- these things can obviously bother people later on and that's, you know, that's the injury. That's not physical. They can. The one, the one thing I would, I would wonder about that though. And, and again, not having had a serious injury, um, of that nature in my life, thankfully, um, I don't know from personal experience, but it seems to me the psychological component would be tougher to get past in some ways if it was an on-court injury. Yeah, like an ACL, like can I jump again if it's going to happen yeah. and rupture it? Yeah, where you're mm-hmm. like the first time you get back on the court, you're hesitant, like, oh, God, here we go again. This is not related at all to what he does on the basketball court. So Yeah. Maybe more well, that's interesting because, you know, part of what part of what makes Jeremy Fierce who he is, and we've talked about it some, I don't think he gets enough credit for the athlete that he is. Yeah. So if there is something there, I mean, look, we, it's all speculation, so no point in dwelling on it. But that would be interesting. The, the plus side is, much like Mateen Cleaves, what, for all his physical gifts, what makes Jeremy Fears a really good player more than anything else, in my opinion, is the way he sees and thinks the game. Yeah. And that's not going to be damaged. Between his ears, right? I think that's the uh, Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure there are many thousands of listeners who are specialists who are like, that's totally wrong. So if you, you know, you have, <laughs> you want to correct something, certainly you can send along a note to me, Eric at TFFINOTS.com. That's fine. I'd love to hear your, your opinions or thoughts on things. Uh, so I guess we'll just wrap it up there unless you have something else. Nope. All right. So make sure you head on over to our sponsors, nudgeprinting.com, the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids, and you can find squeegeesquad.com. And also you can head on over to the brothers, just gutters at brothersgutters.com. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Mm-hmm.